Guys, we're Junto Podcast, and we're going to be talking about the 2020 elections with Afton Bain and Samantha Myers. Do y'all want to tell a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Well, I'm really, really excited to be here. And the de- right. what do you call this lair? It's a den. The, the, let's call it a lair. The, actually, the, 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 the bat cave. The bat cave. The musky bat cave lair. den. Junto lair. Hashtag Junto lair. My name's Afton. I'm a statewide political organizer for a few organizations in Tennessee and Kentucky. And so. Oh, oh man, I have just been in the trenches of the 2020 elections. And guess what? What? It's only jo- January 5th. I know. It's only January. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've just We're, been uh, running around Kentucky and Tennessee working on Senate races and presidential. So I'm super excited to, to dig in today. And who do we have to my left over here? Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, hi. That's so grand. Uh, I'm Samantha Myers, and I'm a ballroom dance teacher, and I am a Bernie supporter, and I would definitely describe myself in the political realm as newly woke oh, oh ooh, nice. Nice. within the last few years so that yeah really I have a woke. different a different perspective is this like d- after trump woke yes okay after absolutely trump woke. So you were one of the white women <laughs> that got real woke. i think it was right? like one of those like <gasps> holy crap we gotta do something yeah you know, and oh God, to all the people that have been organizing decades before, and then this massive Ooh. wave of white women who became woke after Trump, and you know, that's Thank, you and me. Thankfully, hey. very nice. <laughs> Boom. And then we got Josh Hawley. He's going to be doing some fact checking for us. He's the wizard. You're going to be curtain. very busy Hello. tonight. Yeah, for go. sure. All right. So where are we at so far? It's January. Where Where do we sit? Man, well, uh, so at the moment, we I just read a poll from The Hill that Michael Bloomberg is now in third place. Um, we had some really interesting 2020 endorsements today. Okay. Uh, so uh, care to guess who, who endorsed Michael Bloomberg? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in the uh, primetime judge circuit on mm-hmm. uh, anyone? Mm-hmm. No. How about... Judge Judy, ladies and Judge gentlemen. Judge Judy. Oh, oh okay. So the Judge one Judy. Judge we could have guessed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which it was funny seeing uh, all the Bloomberg staff people just rioting in the streets over this Judge Judy just endorsement. Like, Hell yeah. What? <laughs> Judge Judy. Judge Judy. Let's do this. Come to our courts. <laughs> like what does that mean? Like what does that mean? Like what does a Judge Judy endorsement mean? <laughs> she has the final word. <laughs> oh, is that her? What is that her tactic? I don't know. <laughs> Final say. I did actually. I did hear about one endorsement. Okay. Uh, okay. Wasn't it Julian Castro? That's right. For um, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. That's right. And that's a really interesting. Um, I think it was a historical moment for Warren. Um, I think on Twitter it's been compared to how AOC came out for Bernie. Um, although we know, you know, Julian has a little bit of a different prestige as, you know, he was, uh, yeah. uh, he was one of the HUD secretary, I believe, uh, a congressman. And so, you know, it's been said that he's kind of more in line with Elizabeth Warren, but I think mm. it's a definite boost to his cam to her campaign. Um, because not know, quite he, AOC, not, no. not, quite. Quite okay. <laughs> not quite as salty, not quite as salty, <laughs> but he did, you know, he, he, did you ever, did you see the viral video of him? I think it was in Houston rolling up on the, the hydraulic. No. Oh, no. you didn't see this? Oh my god. This went viral. Oh yeah, it was viral. Yeah, yeah. So he had he had some some quality moments in his campaign. I, I really appreciated I, I him. Like, yeah. That was when he was running. 
Yeah, it was Warren oh. Jennings. Yeah, not posting Warren endorsement. I, I thought that, I thought you were describing he did, it. He actually did the Warren endorsement within the hydraulic <laughs> part. Yeah, okay. So we're clear. Just so we're clear. So what's the third one? That was Judge Judy. Who no, there then? were just two. Oh. Yeah, there were just two. Start about three. I did too. Well, we've had some. Uh, so this is, you know, I know we're talking federal politics, but um, for those of you who who aren't from Tennessee, we've had some some pretty. Uh, striking national endorsements from local legislators uh particularly ones that you would never see coming but you know a lot of the legislators uh, state legislators have endorsed biden and bloomberg oh, wow. um and for me as a progressive mm-hmm. activist at the state legislature it was arrested last year i remember <sighs> that just so Fun disheartening mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah there's a video yeah. We can we can send video to prove. Oh, there's a video. Got yeah. tackled by a 250 pound man. That was the first time. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Sorry, second Gangster. time. Gangster. Okay. Second time was kind of this like Avita Avita Perone like on the Casa Rosada balcony, mm-hmm. just like. Afton just got down. out of jail. She ain't going back. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, state troopers, man. Ugh. Anyways, but yeah, so it's been you know I um I'm also pretty focused on the the Senate races this year, uh, and so I know a lot of your listeners are curious about the presidential, but. Senate map is important. It is much more difficult uh, than a Bernie Sanders presidency. I will say that. Um, what makes think, it more difficult? Yeah, I just, I, I feel like uh, the states that, you know, there's a few Senate races in states that the president needs to win, right? Because of the Electoral College. Um, but I just don't know how those Senate races are going to play. And the map's just a lot more difficult. But we've got Colorado, Maine, Tennessee, we've got a Senate race, and Kentucky with my favorite the man oh. the man who keeps the me myth, up at, the, oh, the man who keeps me up <laughs> late guy. at night what, don't <laughs> say his name mitch grim reaper mcconnell ladies uh, and gentlemen he that's i just don't understand of of you know what he reminds me of <laughs> I, I don't want that's one guy i don't understand he reminds me the candy nerds like the nerd <laughs> wait he looks like a candy nerd like no but the little characters that the nerd, you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to need a graphic. On the box, Josh, gra- I do need Josh, a graphic. give a graphic. Yeah. yeah, let me pull it up. It's quite funny, pull so hold on. I'm going to compare, <laughs> I'm gonna compare does, side doesn't by he? side. That or a turtle. <laughs> uh, no, I always thought he looked like uh, the, like a turtle, personally. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you something. But it's like eyes and then not, if you don't, you know. Oh, it's like a lot of that. skin, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now, which I found really interesting for okay. your disability advocates uh, that are listeners. Uh, a disability advocate in Kentucky told me that the reason that he has such bad posture that mimics a turtle is because he had polio when he was younger. Oh. And so the disability advocates are really anti-turtle endorsement. So, mm. so we should stay away from that. Stay away from the turtle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's... Well, I said nerd. Of, 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 yeah. No, you were, on, uh, you were on point. You were, hmm. you were politically correct at it that was moment. Nerd. I don't see, like, what do you mean it's, like a candy like nerd? The little, like the, the, the candy nerds didn't have any... I don't see any characters. Really? Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? <laughs> <laughs> I, wow, we're not Josh. going down that rabbit hole. Okay, <laughs> I'm telling right. you. Okay, we're going to keep going, and I'm going to pull up a nerd for everybody. Yeah, I'd like to see the nerd. I don't see it. Oh, wait. Uh, nope. No, oh, wait. We're moving on. Okay. 2000. Well, McConnell, Man. yeah, he's, you know, he's <laughs> more so than Trump, right? He's He's been named. I think he was just named by either Time Magazine. I'm going to need a fact check on that, Josh. Um the most Amer- the most important American politician uh, of of our of our century. So, really? Okay, maybe decade. Josh, we're okay. gonna need a double. So, we're gonna need a double yeah. fact check on that. We're gonna go back to Wait, that. Let's I... get back to the important thing. Of this is a nerd. Okay. Okay. That, see oh, the little. He's kind of. So yeah. The so you're saying he's, like, he's kind of lumpy. 
Don't it tell me they don't me exist. Of, uh, have you seen that movie Osmosis Jones? The little like germs in the oh like a oh sperm? yeah okay no oh, whoa <laughs> Wait, what this is going the down. 2020 <laughs> election is off to a great start all right okay. a lot of swimmers in the race here we go okay that's terrible let's keep going we could edit all this out if we need to no, i think people enjoy it mcconnell is a nerd Okay. He got to make it. light of yeah. some yeah. things in this election. That's true. That's true. Yeah, right. but he's um, so. I think, he, I oh, look yeah, up, I'm looking up online. Yeah, it says uh, actually it was Rolling Stone that says Mitch McConnell, the man who sold America. Yeah. Oh wait, no, wait, that's that wasn't it. No, it was like most um, most important American politician of. Oh, current, those are two very times. stark contrasts. The man who sold, man who sold America and the man who... You know, but what's what's really, I think, really interesting for the Republican Party right now is because you have the McConnell, um, who represents, you know, the old Republican Party, right? The, mm. the, the kind of devious um, but highly strategic type operative, um, you know, just pure political malicious talent, right? Um, but now you have Trump. And now... You know, McConnell has to bend towards Trump supporters because they make up, they make up most of the Republican base, right? So I mm. think for the twenty twenty towards, what do you mean by that? Like, well, I thought they kind of worked hand in hand. They well, they do, <laughs> they do, right? But like McConnell can't feed off of each other. They do in moments, but mm. I think McConnell. Um, you know, he's not. He doesn't like the fanfare of Trump. There, right? the, yeah, there is a more moderate line of republicans if you want to use uh, that language i mean he's not really moderate yeah, it's just well, like it's, it's like the fanatic frothing mm. trump supporter um oh wait sorry we're on a i forgot that we've got do we have what's that no you can say that okay you okay. say whatever you I want to in fact i will go ahead and disclaimer you know we have invited some trump supporters to take part and Which some other great. candidates yeah. okay you got to show up to get your word in so well and i feel you know working in rural tennessee and rural kentucky um, you know, I will say that I think a lot of people were fed a, a lie and I think they digested it and they really have held on to a lot of the rhetoric, um, as their own and Kentucky, coal country, coal country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm starting to come around to some of that. Well, yeah. So I'm organizing in, in, in Eastern Kentucky. Um, and, uh, just recently, and this has to do with McConnell, but, uh, you know, they had a hundred coal miners uh head to dc on a bus to lobby mcconnell to put more money in the black lung disability fund right and these aren't trump supporters um some of them are yeah but but some of them aren't and you know eastern kentucky has this really ripe labor history um so i think for the presidential it's going to be interesting to see um you know what counties voted for obama and then flipped and voted for trump um and then what county or what states bernie sanders won in the uh, 2016 primary that are important for our electoral college path, which I'm really excited about. Hmm. What do y'all think? Do you think, <laughs> how do you, do you think Trump's base is getting larger or smaller? Oh my God. You know, I think they're more, I think they're more, co I think they're more committed than ever. Okay. Um, hmm. That's and kind of my impression. Yeah. And I, I don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, and I don't think when people, you know, I, I work for a progressive organization, um, and I think 
being in DC and not seeing the things that I'm seeing in the Appalachian mountains and, you know, in Memphis and, um, in, in, in Louisville and across my two States that I have, they haven't gone anywhere. Right. And I really do feel like Trump has uh, a chance at winning this presidential election just because they're more committed than ever. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to undo, you know, Trump was elected because of massive, massive issues within our country that we haven't been able to deal with. Right. Mm-hmm we haven't been able to kind of broach and and dismantle the math you know the the racism and the sexism and the misogyny that that um it's you know, kind of blankets. just stayed there because right. there's been so many maybe that's been trump's plan is to distract with all of his stuff and to build his committed base and nothing's been solved in terms of no everything america's great again okay. well now we got to keep it a great yeah, now keep america, america great. keep yeah. america Kaga. great <laughs> so Kaga. keep america great wait what was it kaga it's, it's kaga keep america you haven't heard great. of kaga oh wait it, it, well, you can't be a again. at the end because you can't keep america great cag. again you can, it's just cag <laughs> no, well, I mean, I've never heard of anybody call it that. It's still MAGA, but I'm just saying there's still like a campaign that says "Keep America Great," but I've never heard anybody call it CAG. But still, it's CAG. CAG. They're trying to shorten it to one syllable. Continuity is not important, Josh. What are you thinking? Have you got? Do you guys watch the Jordan Klepper clips? Like, for example, like there was a gentleman Jordan Klepper's interviewing some people, and he has the. Uh, <laughs> if you get a chance, watch this on YouTube. But. He interviews this one guy, and he's got the – he's basically going through with the Trump dynasty. So he wants all the kids and everybody else to be elected president subsequently. But he left <laughs> out – he only did one-term presidents. And, well, and It was year dash year. Yeah. So when you're reading that, that means 2020 to 2024. <laughs> and Jordan Clever goes, wait a minute. These are all one-term presidents. He's like, no, no, no. You're reading it wrong. He's like, no, no. Do you see <laughs> – it's twenty to twenty four, and then you go all the way to you skip you skip the the next term. No, that means two no, terms. No, no, you're reading it wrong. No, that's not how language oh, works. <laughs> so what do, what do Democrats got to do? Where, where are we? Oh God, oh God. You know I um. So my work is really around uh, congressional primaries. Uh, and so, um, as you know, AOC won her primary. Mm-hmm. Bernie lost his in, in 2016. But um, Southern primaries are really, really important because, um, you know, we have, unlike a lot of the other states, yeah, you've got your old guard in, in California, New York, but we've got, like, the white, dynastic, pale, stale, and male Yay. crowd. Hey. Ayo. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but we have really YouTube, like generations Josh. of of um, men in power that have never been, you know, never been susceptible to a primary. And so, um, you know, what I'm really excited about, yeah, we have. I think the the presidential primary, in a way, has made a lot of people more um, comfortable with talking about primaries in the South, which I'm really excited to see. Yeah, can you talk about that for a minute? So I, I don't know if everybody will know that when you say they have never been primaried, <laughs> so they, they basically have never stood up or had any contest. Oh. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so we have, um, oh my <laughs> gosh, it's, you know, on well, on the Republican side, like just take Tennessee, for example. I mean, we've had people that have been in office for um, for Jim Cooper's example, well, he's not a Republican, but our Democratic congressman in Tennessee right now has been in office for over 30 years. 30 years. And how, how many of those years has he actually contested? 
on the on the Republican side almost every year. Because okay. Carol Swain has a vanity. But what about in the primary? <laughs> in the primary. Um, very little. I think very yeah. little. Um, but what's really exciting, about, like I said, about the Democratic primaries, I think it's making um, Southerners like us more comfortable about talking about primaries, especially in a city like Nashville, where people think we're really progressive, but we're not. Um, and so I'm really excited to see kind of how the presidential down ballot excitement um, uh, kind of, um, you know, permeates the congressional primary that we have in front of us. Hmm. So in the what do you think, Sam? Where, where are we at with the candidates? Like, what do you think the switch is going to be between the Biden supporters and then like so? So right now it's kind of looking like so you'll have like Biden and then kind of a split between Warren and Bernie. Is that how it's? Yeah, it's Bernie. I know there's a lot to Yeah, Bernie, there, Warren, so. and then Biden always comes in a close third. And then Buttigieg. Yeah, I was going oh, to say I Buttigieg, Buttigieg is, I think, still Ugh. he's in Buttigieg. the top four. Always. I always forget about Buttigieg. The dance. I have seen the dance. Have you never saw that? No. Okay, don't look it up. Don't. No, I yeah, won't. Don't look it up. Didn't go viral. No. But how would you, I'm just curious, as like a... Uh, as someone who's politically now woke as a as a ballroom dancer, yeah, like, how do you how would you define the the people that identify with those candidates? I so for anybody that is watching this that like is in the same boat as me, I um, obviously post Trump, I didn't even this will be my first presidential election to vote in, so. Um, I used to be one of those people that describe myself as I'm not political and you know I don't I think that that that's I don't need to be involved in that I'm not gonna vote that my vote doesn't matter that you hear that a lot um, even now I hear it all I'm like no it does and <laughs> because now I'm like I understand it but um, I from my perspective it it seems so comical to even put someone like Joe Biden next to Bernie and say that one should Joe Biden should be the next president to defeat Trump over Bernie like that there there's no sense I How can come? make of that um, because there's no there's no integrity there's no there's no sense in his sentences <laughs> when he's speaking. He's There's disintegrating in he, front of us. His blood I eye. Mean, we just are. Uh, we're at 2020 election. We will be have. We will have watched four years of a disintegrating president. We don't need four more years. It'll be weekend at Bernie's. They'll just whether be prop, it's propping and, him up. You know, like Bernie and Trump and and uh, Biden are all about the same age, and Bernie is so much more focused and coherent <laughs> and and he's been doing it for so long and when people even bring I mean I love I think Elizabeth is great but if they try to say that she's the same like you said we were talking about the endorsements mm. and Julian Castro put this whole message out on Twitter and the things that he was saying he supported her on I'm like those are no different right. from Bernie right so Say something about Elizabeth that is different from Bernie. There isn't. I mean, we're, yeah, he's better because he's been him for his whole life. And it just, it was, so I don't really know if that has, that's, has any weight, but. 
So he's been consistent. He's been consistent. But and what do you feel like? Who are the Biden? Like, who I don't know any Biden supporters. Like, <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, I think it's a nostalgia. And as we know, nostalgia can be very dangerous. Yeah. Make America great again. America wasn't great <laughs> for most people. It still isn't great for yeah. most people. Um, and so I think there's n- nostalgia to go back to Obama. And I just think it's, you know, we weren't able. I, I don't know how much you know about the the. Um, Affordable Care Act and the fight um, for Medicare for all with, within that fight. Um, but as Obama was cutting deals with Republicans and trying to pass the Affordable Care Act, uh, a local advocate, uh, advocate of ours um, in Tennessee, Dr. Carol Paris, who's the former president for Physicians for National Single Payer, was arrested at the ACA hearings mm-hmm. because they wouldn't give Medicare for all a chance. And here we have mm-hmm. a broken s- system well, a lot of people don't understand that Obamacare was Romney care. It's pretty much the same plan, correct? I mean, it's 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 bullshit piecemeal healthcare, right? right. And, and it's not truly government healthcare. You hear that a lot too, right? No, it's a free market. It's, it's a free market antidote to It's what just saying you right. have to purchase healthcare. Right. Well, they got rid of the mandate, so now they don't even have to okay. do that. Well, right, yeah. Right. But, you know, the, the biggest piece, and I'll say this on this, um, and so for, for those of you who are health policy nerds out in the ether right now, um, so as part of the ACA, you know, Obama said, well, guess what? I'm going to allow states to have full coverage through Medicaid expansion, right? Guess what states didn't expand Medicaid? I don't know. The Almost all, all the, the Republican s- all southern, southern states. states. Yeah, I was, <laughs> so I was now say southern states. So, so right. that's a big issue. So do you, where does that cutoff come from? Because... Obviously, there's a lot of rural people who support Medicare for all or the expansion of Medicaid. Oh, yeah. So is it just strictly an ignorance to the medical system that they don't understand? Yeah. So there's I think there's a lot to unpack there. So um, I'm going to I'm going to give a great anecdote uh, of what's what I'm seeing in rural Tennessee right now. So um, because we haven't expanded Medicaid in Tennessee, two hospitals merged in rural northeast Tennessee, Kingsport and Johnson City. Okay in that area two hospitals merged and when hospitals merge the people in charge limited the accountability they shut down the NICU unit so babies were at risk of dying um when hospitals shut down you know what the most uh expensive wing of the hospital is the OBGYN unit yeah and so we have women our age that are (laughs) you know they're not able to get care anyways so this these organizers have been out there they have now been out there for 246 days outside these hospitals protesting and what they've been able to do is radicalize an entire constituency of trump supporters for medicare for all and i went up there and i filmed republicans saying healthcare is a human right because when the issue is hyper local it doesn't matter you don't walk into a hospital a democrat or republican it's true and so I think there's something really there, and I would hope, and, and you know, my hope for the 2020 debates post-primary is that I really do feel if the candidate is Bernie that Trump won't debate him because Bernie will eviscerate him on stage about yeah. things like Medicare for all. He absolutely will. You can't. So people, that, that's one thing that I want to bring to Junto Podcast. And by the way, I'm not an expert on it, but I've been studying logic for about five years. And I think if it was in every classroom in America mm-hmm. that um, our world would radically change. If kids were America brought up, might actually be great again. <laughs> it might be great. Yeah. So if, if, if it, because it makes communication so effective. And when someone that is a good debater like Bernie Sanders, who actually is 
articulating these ideas very fluidly and you get them in front of someone like Trump that cannot, uh, very quickly does that person start to disintegrate. Actually, just to speak to it, there's a gentleman, or a gentleman, everybody knows who this is, Ben Shapiro. Um, one of the critiques that I have is sometimes he has young college kids um, who try to debate him on certain issues. And the problem is, is not that they're incorrect, it's because he's a better debater. Mm. Um, if they knew logic and some of the ways he tries to divert the conversation, um, they might get the point. He wouldn't get sound bites. What, what Trump's presidency mostly is is a series of sound bites. None of it's actually intelligible. Like you can't, you know, if he says, for example, what, what's what's something that even like, let's just take it's the a wall. reality show. It's a reality show. So let's take the wall for example. The walls had a ton of um, setbacks as far as the funding of it and the fact that now they're even bolt. They're they're finding places where they're uh, still coming through the wall. Um, not that I care. I think everybody should be legalized and be done with it. That's right. But the, regardless, the wall is not even doing what he said it was supposed to do. Um, and people just hook, line, and sinker these things. Um, we're just spending, pumping money into something that doesn't work. You know. Sounds like everything. Now I've <laughs> lost where I was going. But the point is, is yes, I, I'm agreeing to your point with his Bernie. His bites and his. Yeah, Bernie, once you get, if he, if he does debate Bernie's him, logical. You, you might, feel like Bernie's logical. Bernie's logical. No, no, most of the things, the sentiments that he puts it. So logic is a study that's been talked about for years um, or studied for years. It's, it's a very principled way of articulating. It's not, it's almost scientific um, in its approach. So for example, people. You, you'll hear this. So if you talk to a Hillary supporter, the Hillary supporter will be like, yes, but Trump. And then you'll talk to a, a, a Trump supporter and he'll say, yes, but Hillary. Um, and you never get to the root of the mm. problem. It's just a back and forth, which creates this false dichotomy. With Bernie, he's actually talking about issues. So if Trump is unable to respond, I'm, I mean, I'm agreeing with you. It would be ridiculous for Trump. If Trump think he, thinks he could stand up to someone like Bernie Sanders and actually have a debate, it would be comical. If that happens, that might be my favorite day ever to watch that. He he already uh, didn't he he turned down a debate with Bernie Sanders, did he not? They were supposed I'm pretty to. Pretty sure. Can you yeah. pull that up, Josh? Yeah, I'm on it. This so, year. So for all the Trump supporters, man, you talk about a guy that dodges drafts and he crawfishes out of debates. Well, and here's and here's the thing: it's like. I, you know, I don't. I don't ever want. I don't vilify Trump supporters. I mean, mm -hmm. I. I really don't. I think that. I think the 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 kind of um, clinging to what they perceive as, for example, immigrant. You know, an immigration wave and the caravans. Um, and for those of you that live in Tennessee, we lost our Senate race last year on caravans. Uh, Marsha Blackburn said there were tons of immigrants coming over the border. And, and that's it's misplaced anger. Hmm. We're angry because of our neoliberal policies that have resulted in terrible trade transactions and terrible, you know, just very, very complex global issues that have affected working class people in our country. Um, and I don't think any candidate has done a better job of speaking to that truth than Bernie Sanders. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's true, actually. It, uh May 27, 2016, New York Times published an article uh, where uh, Donald Trump did indeed uh, uh, reject an offer to debate Bernie Sanders uh, before the June 7th California primary. Ted Cruz ended up debating him, which Ted Cruz looked he ridiculous. Had so. 
spurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bone spurs. Here's the thing, though, going back to, like, the who's in the, the – if you take the top four, you take Biden or Warren or Buttigieg, um, if, the, if he really is in the top four. I don't know if there's anyone else. But, like, if you put them against Trump, the only person that's going to break down Trump and anything that he stands for is Bernie. 100%. And I, you know, I love, I really love Elizabeth Warren as a, as an yeah. academic, as, as someone who has a graduate degree, as a, a, a female, like she really resonates yeah. with me, right? However, um, as I've learned organizing in, in rural Tennessee and Kentucky, misogyny is very, very, very oh. real. And we are not ready for a female president. And that's not sexist. It's just the reality that we have so, we have decades of work to do when we are broaching. I mean, look at the Me Too movement. I will never forget when I was canvassing in rural Kentucky in a trailer park and this person I answered the door and they said, well, how does your, ca it was a, like a county commission candidate. How does your, ca how does your candidate feel about Kavanaugh? And I was like, this has nothing to do, <laughs> this has nothing to do with this race. But I think we have, we have just a long way to go. And I think Hillary just epitomized a lot of that. I think Hillary just epitomized a lot of the, that angst. And, and, and I don't feel like Elizabeth Warren as an elite academic from Harvard. Um, I, I, I just, yeah. When you say somebody that like, a woman couldn't run or well, that, that would, that would be a hurdle. Um, what about someone like Nina Turner? Mm. I would. You still you think it's still sexism is that strong that? I I think that's a different. So for me, it's a political calculation. I think for for white women, so fifty two percent, fifty three percent of white women voted for Trump. Um, oh I will God. say, wow. but I will say, oh yeah, that's oh yeah, you didn't know that? Oh no, yeah, and so the, I don't know if you were watching the Golden Globes last night, but uh, Michelle Williams stood up and said, you know, women, vote your interest. Make sure you're not voting for these um, these abortion bans. And the commentary on Twitter was that white women did vote their interest in 2016. They voted to maintain white supremacy because that's what they're closest to, right? Um, but all that to say is that I think if Nina Turner ran. Um, people would sit out, right? People sat out, or not with Nina Turner, but people sat out with Hillary running, right? I think with Nina Turner, you see a Stacey Abrams plus a, a even more progressive approach to electoral organizing, which is like, like if Nina female, Turner runs, the, right, you get everyone. She's the female Bernie almost. You get, but you get, you get populations of people, demographics of people who have never voted before. And that's the calculus that mm. Stacey Abrams has made. Other people have made is that we're not going to go after the Democratic voters. We're going to go after the disenfranchised folks and center them as part of our electoral strategy. And that's what I think she would do. So Nina Turner 2024. <laughs> you're, you're, hearing sure. it, you're hearing it now, folks. I, I do have a question with something that you said. So because um, I've wondered this. I've heard a few people say this, and I, I guess I just want to know what your input is. You said that we aren't ready for a female president right now. What made us ready for Obama, for a black president at the time? Were we ready or was that too soon? Oh, that's a great question. And I, and I will, I want to clarify. I wouldn't say we're not ready for a female president. I just don't think, well, maybe, yeah, 2020, we're not ready for a female president um, because there's just so much work to do, especially in the South. I think with Obama, it was... Um, you know, he was, he, and I hate to word, use the word elites, but he's, you know, he's an elite. Mm -hmm. um, he's got an outstanding pedigree, you know, educated at the finest institutions in this country. Mm -hmm. He has played the electoral game to a T. Um, and I think he was able to instill a lot of that hope 
Um, and he was charismatic. Mm-hmm. And I think people were just ready for a change. He's also very logical. He was oh. a great debater. That's right. Yeah, a great orator. And by the way, yeah. that was one thing early on, and but this is far before I even went <laughs> into that, like started studying that field. Um, you know, when he was talking to Mitt Romney, I had no affiliations. I was like, Mitt Romney sounds like a moron. That's the one thing. And when I, what I'm saying is you can hear when someone is debating and one person doesn't know what they're talking about and the other one does. And it was that much for me. Yeah. It didn't have anything to do with, with being a black president or Republican or Democrat. I was strictly like, this dude does not know what he's talking about. Period. I guess that's why Elizabeth Warren, like, I'm like, yeah, she's a woman, but like, there's just something about her that isn't stand. Like she doesn't, she's not a good debater. I don't think from what I've seen. I, I think Elizabeth Warren's a fair debater. Bader, I think she is. Um, I think she lacks the the charisma part. Okay. If well, I maybe if, that's it. Opinion. I can't put. It's like trying to find what the taste is in in a. It might be reversed, well, but that's my opinion. Well, the other really interesting piece, anecdotally, is that um, from older women over the age of sixty five, they don't like her really? because she feels like a grandmother, and they feel and they've internalized misogyny, oh. and so they're like, oh, you know, she's really screechy, and I'm like. Wow, I mean that is so <laughs> real. How much of that do you think is if you're and this is complete conjecture, so just bear with me. But do you think older women look at another older woman? They're like, and almost a sense of jealousy is there. Like, I don't want to vote for a woman. Is that is I that? I mean, possible? but that's that's what we're talking like deep. That's still deep structural yeah. misogyny, generational misogyny. Because she struggled through all this and got here. Yeah, you know. yeah, and I see that with women, like, yeah, and I see who are not as, um, you know, does, they, they don't have the pedigree like Elizabeth Warren, and they feel very jealous, and I just, you know, I don't think Hillary Clinton was the right candidate for 2016. I, I maybe a Warren Castro ticket, which seems like that's bubbling up to the surface, could be exciting for people, um, but um, I just, in the states that I have to organize, it's just, I, I don't feel... I feel like Bernie's speaking to the people and the issues in a way, you know, and, and Warren is very, um, you know, she's, she's got a plan for that. And she kind of tells you like, she's, ex- she's three, a three B three C four. And this is my plan. And this is how I'm going to do it. And Bernie's just like, burn it all. And he speaks, in these, <laughs> he speaks, in these no platitudes. Pun <laughs> right. But yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> but he speaks in these platitudes in which really resonate with the working class of this country. Mm-hmm. So that's true. <sighs> So the Democratic Party, in my view, Ugh. has to do so. So I kind of see that uh, <laughs> if it were me and I had the decision to do this, I would kick out Biden. I don't know if you can kick out Bernie, so I I, I would say it'd have to be burnt between Bernie and Buttigieg. So and why do you say that? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't think Biden's really the uh, champion anybody needs. Oh, you're not talking <laughs> it, about polling. You're talking about your personal. Uh, yeah well no i mean i'm speaking a little bit about polling because the truth is is people are like samantha are getting into the political process she's not pollable she's never voted so she's not a likely democratic voter therefore she's not in those polls that's true there's a whole broader portion of america that people that are not you know you hear that the who's polling um you know the strongest and those are from a very small portion of americans at the end from, of the day and typically from landlines do you know how obsolete landlines are right so it's i it's, think it's a boomer thing uh oh no <laughs> just brought in a uh, uh, 
Oh, we're gonna yeah. throw Josh right under the bus on that one. Dropped it. Okay, that he just dropped an okay boomer. Anyway, I got. <laughs> <laughs> too right. soon too okay. soon I, I, i'll edit that out <laughs> we're not we're done okay we're trying or don't. we're trying to get viewers where can i start back what were we talking about Biden. you think biden's gonna be kicked out and it's gonna be bernie and judge so no i mean i think what we, you would do is kick out uh biden so um as far as the pollable the people that are pollable we know that voter re- registration people are voting those those people the new voters that have just registered are not pollable. They're not going to vote for someone like Biden. Um, most of those people are coming out for other people. Dare I say even maybe Buttigieg, but they're not coming out for, they're mostly registering to vote for either Bernie, maybe maybe Buttigieg to a little degree. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't, if you come out as a new fresh voter, I, I don't know how you can listen to Biden in anything yeah. and, and want to vote well and him, that's but when you talk he's not people, very exciting no, no he's not but like when you talk and like i've i relate to i'm an old soul so i relate to 65 year olds and you know i'll be eating with them and they're like well you know Ber- like bernie and war they're just too radical and i'm like but you have to take into consideration exactly what you said which is if biden's the nominee there will be no young voters voting for him and that's the entire and in electoral I strategy not vote <laughs> okay well oh that's a can of worms. So I'm yeah. So what? Okay. So let's get into that. So so a new voter, um, and and some of this comes to, new voters are not, as versed on poli- policy and things of that matter, and it's strictly an area where, um, just to be quite frank, they don't really understand the impact of voting, not voting, things like that. Right. That is a you can't. It's almost sometimes I feel like the Democratic Party thinks that this is something that is actually something they when they say things like the blue no matter who oh it, it gets uh, into that that electability that gets into this this area of um, you're speaking to your own e- echo chamber so some of those people get that line of thinking but anybody outside of that is not going to understand so you have people that if you do elect a biden who are just going to stay home and it's not necessarily out of malicious or maliciousness or anything so can i like what i hear you saying is that the new the new voter they're not part of you know vote blue no matter what means nothing to them because they're not democratic voters they're not hearing it if i was registered in 2016 i wouldn't have voted if i was if i had the knowledge that i have now and a lot of people did that they yeah. stay home. So, but what they what people do is there's a there's a quote that says you got to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, to, in my opinion, too many people in the Democratic Party and in these uh, people that are involved in politics think it's like have you ever had a uh, if you weren't good at something, for example, I'm not great at math. So I've had math teachers that they're sitting there like, why can't you get this? You don't understand this, and they're teaching you from their perspective. It's so incomprehensible that you don't understand what they're saying. Right. But they get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't have any way of that, that. I would say that was my biggest critique. There, there seems to be this big gap where people think that other people should be on the same level that they are. And that's just not well, and that's And that's a very real, vast gap. And I will say, so electoral strategy right now, if you're on the progressive end, you are focusing on the what's called the rising American electorate. And so that's targeting minority voters, unmarried women, 
and uh, um, young voters. And so most progressive strategy is, hey, we're not going to we're not going to be dealing with the people that vote new vote blue no matter what. We're going to be dealing with this entire subset of people. We're going to be registering them to vote and then we're going to be acclimating them to the voting process. And I think that's the piece that, you know, in a state like Tennessee, where we're not going to have any resources in 2020, um, just, you know, we had a very, well, we had a very competitive Senate race in 2018 oh, okay. and there were millions of dollars that came in to register new voters, particularly black voters. Um, but I think, you know, in a resource scarce environment, how do you bridge that gap between a new voter and, and, and statistically, uh, Josh, uh -oh. statistically, um, if a voter votes in a democratic primary, they are, I think, I don't even want to give the number, but they are give a number ninety percent more likely to vote in the general. Is it ninety percent? Oh, it's not. That is Gosh. not that true. Okay. I think you're off by a margin of probably forty percent. So, like a, a Democratic voter who votes in the a first a first time voter who votes in the Democratic pri primary is much more likely to vote in the general and then committed to vote so like fifty four percent voting later on. But I think, like, how do you how do you bridge that? And especially in a state like Tennessee, where we, you know, both of you said that you attended the abortion uh, ban rally. So, you know, all these southern legislatures banned abortion um, and we had a big rally for it. And it's like, do you, I would hope that all of those young women are registered to vote and would vote on this issue. But yeah. I highly doubt it. And I don't know mm. what the solution is. The, I think the solution is enthusiasm you have to have someone there has to be something that's groundbreaking what do you think uh when you said enthusiasm i thought of the dog video oh they got the rap i like yeah. that they put it in the video you can yeah. like what what was the intersection between you registering to vote and understanding that like not that you have a civic duty but like you feel part of the process and not disenfranchised as a voter I still am oh. trying to understand that, to be honest, if I'm really honest. Like, it seems, well, I mean, just looking at all of the Democratic candidates, and, and I'm very, like, th there's no wavering for me from Bernie, but it's very daunting. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm going to, I'll go ahead. So that response mean speaks volumes to me so neil degrasse tyson big fan um says you know we need people that neil, we want you on the show yes, yeah. <laughs> come on <laughs> neil. I, you we have to have people who know how to think not what to think and he was talking about uh he, he does this in the process there's an interview and they're interviewing somebody and they, they interview these two individuals and they ask the person they're like hey next door how tall is the skyscraper and this guy goes uh, well i know it's 320 feet because i know the guy that built the skyscraper and he was precise in his decision well they asked the second guy they said how high is the skyscraper and he goes out and he measures and i don't know the science behind this but you can do this you can go out and measure the length of the shadow and and extrapolate a few other things again now you know i'm bad at math but you can determine that answer or at least get within the bounds so he comes back up and he says you know what it's it's around 300 feet he says who are you gonna hire you're gonna hire the guy that figured it out the person that figured oh, it out you're not gonna hire the person that knows so the other quote that uh neil degrasse tyson has is 
when or it's not a quote, but he he has a sentiment that when you are out stumping, you have like when you're talking to people, you have a message you get across. It is incumbent on you to get that message across, not for the person that you're communicating it to. And that, to me, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, whoever you are, that is the message you need to hear. If you, if people are not coming out to vote for you, and, and you don't have to look this up, I know it. It's 26.4 and like 25.4% of the, the eligible or the people that did vote voted for either candidate. That's drastic. So only 26.4 voted for Hillary and 25.4 voted for uh, um, Trump. Trump. So in my mind, what that tells me is that 75% of people, eligible voters, by the way, only 68% of eligible voters voted. That means that 75% of people didn't want either candidate. Right. At the end of the day, if you get down to, to math, that is the statistic. So we have to find a way, in my mind, to figure out how to communicate that and and it's not bludgering people with, with you you should do this it's it's your civic duty it's to me it's we have to educate people on policy and i and that's the that's the hurdle just like as an interesting um so the women's march right okay. so you know Coming up, yeah. And I promise I'll, I'll, I'll it's, get to the point. When is that? Well, it's coming up, but this... this we actually have the ladies that are organizing it coming on, so... Oh, great. Wait, awesome. Darlene and... Dar- Darlene Oh, excellent, excellent. Deborah. Okay, yeah. so we'll talk about this a little bit, but... So, you know, you're speaking your message, and the Women's March was all about capitalizing on female rage, right? Like, Trump was just elected. We're going to get out to the streets. Um, and so the, the Women's March, which has happened over a series of years, you know, 14,000, 15,000 people show up. Um, but the number of people that that translates to electoral politics, or they go and knock doors, or they understand that, you know, they need to vote for what they're marching for is very small. And I just like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to, um, for, you know, for me, my demographic, the people who, who is your community and who do you speak to, right? And who mm-hmm. do you pull in and, and normalize with, right? And what is your message? For me, I think it's, especially in a state like Tennessee, Kentucky, um, it's emboldening progressive women. Um, because I think, uh, particularly progressive women in the South where, you know, moderate politics, like we've got, you know, team Bloomberg raging on the streets and, and Biden, um, that they really need the, you know, for me, it's about bolstering their agenda and telling them it's okay to be progressive. And I think the more that they are out front, I've seen a lot of people follow them into the light and mm-hmm. say, we're going to get involved politically because you have the courage to stand outside Jim Cooper's office, um, and get him to sign on to Medicare for all. So. You know, I think I think particularly in 2020, it's going to be about who, who's your community of people and how do you get them involved in a way that isn't um, polarizing. Right. Right. The polarizing. But the, yeah. the, when you said they 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 try to build off this emotional rage, to me, that was the, the that's the problem. Instead mm. of going to people and saying and going from a logical aspect, hey, these are it. And the, I guess I've heard the argument. The argument is it's hard to do that. It's hard to educate people. But think about when they hear that. So you're saying, whoa, I'm, I'm too ignorant or stupid to get what you're trying to communicate. So you're appealing. I think the appeal to emotion is in, I think. Hashtag logical fallacy. <laughs> yep. Um, it is a logical fallacy. I think the appeal to emotion can be translated through our, our previous elections. That's always been how, at least from my interpretation, it's always an appeal to emotion. Or do you think that that can be broken into a campaign that's 
driven on actual policy, actual... No, because I think what you're saying, like, are you saying that there's no emotion or rage or in Bernie Sanders' campaign? Ooh, no, no. So not the not the. Because you're saying you you need to use logic to basically convert people to your. What I'm saying is, so you, so the the thing was is, uh, and I'm not gonna put words in your mouth. You said that the party drive off a certain sense of rage about something. How was that? Like the like they Trump's election okay. elicited female rage right so what i believe is that if you tell people instead here's the things that you should be mad at then they'll find on their own the the instrument of those things and therefore that appeal to logic it it inspires emotion because now you know what what the problem is versus so so the false promotion so for example it, it you know Trump is not just, uh, you know, the bad guy. They need to know why some of the policies, what the things are going through, and that might not be easy task. But and I guess what I'm saying, a little bit better. Yeah, I guess. Uh, do, does that make sense? Yeah. Wait. Armed. Armed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah armed yeah. with logic, so they know how. Like. No. 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 <laughs> no. 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 Arm- oh, you're saying armed with logic? I'm saying armed I- with guns. Oh, oh no! Oh no! Whoa! 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 That that emotion. Sixty. Okay. No, I was meaning no, like what, what armed I'm with saying. like understanding mm. of logic versus it just being an emotional debate with anyone. So the polarization, for example, I feel like if 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 I know I don't like Trump because that's kind of the things I and I know a rudimentary idea of why I don't like Trump, that it's most certainly more I'm more powerful as an organizer as and this is anybody. To know the actual, when I'm communicating to other people, I know the actual policy behind the thing, the reasons I like Trump. I think that's always going to be more powerful. Does that not make sense? But I don't think most people who voted for Trump voted on policy. Oh, no. But that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying at the end of the day is if you educate more people instead of you focus on that education, talk about policy and things, that, uh, again, that's the same argument. So they're doing that. They're appealing to emotion. And I'm saying that's weaker than if we if if the game plan changed. We say, hey, these like for example, I think this is seen in Bernie Sanders' campaign. He talks about Medicare for all. He talks about uh, the private prison industry. He talks about the military industrial complex. These are all subjects that you know whether you agree with one or two. Certain people know a little bit about what they don't like about the other ones. Does that make sense? Yeah. Those aren't to me <clears throat> appeals to emotion. People are like, you know what? It is ridiculous that we have private prison industries, that we pay taxpayer dollars to basically line someone else's pockets. And that's what pulls them. Yeah, but I also think that that's a specific demographic of people who have the privilege and space to retain and and internalize that information because most people are in survival mode. Most Americans are in survival mode. They're working two to three jobs. And I think the luxury to have these types of conversations is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what's what's the easiest lift when you're when you're struggling in poverty with five kids in rural Appalachia? It's to be angry at immigrants for taking your so, jobs. So here, here, here's where I kind of hear about that. At the at the end of the day, what percentage of Americans have cell phone access? Can you pull that up for me? So yep. I, I see that argument, but here's where. I interpret that as if, in again, maybe privileged means that you have access to more things, but that also on the flip side would say that because you are of lower income, 
or maybe in another community that you don't have a grasp of the problems around you. No, no, no. I didn't say that. Okay. I didn't say that. I'm just saying like, and this is a so- as a licensed social worker in the state of Tennessee. 96% of Americans now own cell phones of some kind. So Cell phones, but not with internet uh, or broadband. Yeah, so, Amer- uh, so uh, 81% own smartphones. 81. That's a large number. So yeah, how many? Very. So so less than less than that voted in the election. So I, I would argue that it was definitely a problem in the message, and not. Yeah, for sure. That people don't have access to the. To I these think things. I think what I was trying to say is that no 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 and I communities are absolutely they are experts of their you know people living in poverty are experts of their own community and they know what issues need to be addressed and I think my argument is that electoral politics often doesn't transcend that because it's very it can be very elitist because it's never Mm. benefited (laughs) it doesn't benefit the marginalized communities especially in the south Mm. Um, and so for me who sees the world through electoral lens uh, through an electoral and political lens um, elitism has nothing to do with logic those are all pills so so when we when we have mm. the dinner parties where you can't gain access because you got to buy a $120 ticket to get a- access that has no that has no bearing on whether the person in the in the dis- disenfranchised community that's what prevents them access that has nothing to do with their ability to understand those things that's what i feel like we got targeted almost like it's a class thing instead of uh, necessarily well how I- do you so like how do you penetrate with logic Trump supporters living in rural Appalachia. Like, I'm just, I'm curious, like. So, so, I mean, I, I mean, I can speak to this a little bit. Uh, I have several friends that have seen me post things. And I think just as, as kind of, you know, as, as I've posted um, certain issues, it, it, some of these, these things are not, uh, you know, for example, private prison industry. When you break this down, it is essentially, I'm just going to use this one as an example. Uh, essentially what it is, is our taxpayer dollars go into the building of these facilities and then the private prison industry uses the labor from the prisoners to make products for them which they in turn sell to make money for themselves when you target that and you say this is what's happening and those people now they have they're like wow that is fucked up (laughs) now they start finding the targets and who they should vote for on their own what i'm saying is it's it's almost a reverse thing they feel more empowered that way and they feel more and if you go back and look at the campaigns and the times where other than segregation and things, I had a Trump supporter sitting in that seat and he said, back to the times of the World War II. And I said, okay, so when FDR was the president? And he said, yes. And I was like, okay, do you understand that most of those policies are more, it's like, this is closer to an apple. (laughs) And it it does. And sometimes I feel like you've got to get kind of silly with people because that's experience. And if they don't respect your experience in in a subject, then... How are you going to respect them? It's a mutual respect thing. Yeah, no, so, I hear you. Yeah. So the point is, is he started seeing how those, I was like, those things that you're saying that you thought were great are more closely aligned to, to Bernie Sanders' policies. And then the wheels started ticking, you know. So I think people are capable of understanding the more fine nuances to um I think my, my issue is the religiosity piece because Ooh, yeah, I see... Point. A lot of my family members who are evangelicals who have really become Hmm. conspiratorial deep state thinkers and i don't find that even with logic i'm able to penetrate (laughs) whatever narrative that they've created around their reality and so i think it's not easy yeah it can be done yeah and i i just like from and this is and this is kind of a very um i don't know what type of position i'm taking but like i think the argument 
for 2020 is like you should convert your Trump uncle, right? And for me, my time and energy is best spent radicalizing white women who voted for Trump and or didn't vote, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's a constituency. Those are my people. Those Absolutely. are people that I can talk to and those are people that I can radicalize to bring over into electoral politics. Um, so that maybe your family members can see through that versus so, so building on arguing with off. them constantly. <laughs> so building on that, okay, so is this kind of intersectionality, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if women were focused on explaining to women, you know, these different policies, people that are out there organizing, you're talking to people, and then white men were busy arguing with no i think it's so intersectionality is like when you have like if i was a black uh queer woman that mm -hmm. you have the intersection of queerness and blackness right and you have you experience racism and prejudice in both intersections what i'm saying is more and there's a fantastic organizer from um byp 100 shirlene carruthers she wrote a book um, about when who is your who are your people and who are you accountable to um, and who do you organize with and who holds you accountable and how do you radicalize people and it drives me nuts and the Democratic Party is guilty doing this they're like we need to go register black people like we need we need to go right. we need to go to black neighborhoods and I'm like is Listen, this black AKA, churches it, are voting in mass like you want to talk about the most intricate voting system in Nashville that is the black church system right and it just you know and I think it's you know, I, I I just I don't think it's my place as a white woman to be organizing black communities, you know, it, heading into 2020. That's all I'm trying to say. What about. OK, I think I kind of maybe narrowed it down. Fred Hampton. Yeah. Have you heard any of his speeches? Yeah. And so he was very yeah. successful. So he went into these areas and he talked to poor black people and poor white people. And he said, hey, they're dividing you up. This is how they're doing it that why can't that be the focus and i and i feel like that part of that is is because some democrats are on the same take you have democrats that vote for um well because we don't have a working class narrative of the democratic party okay. i'm not the person to have that conversation because i'm not working class right and i think when you are part of that community you're able to to kind of br to navigate maybe the interracial systems with, within the working class right um I'm just not the person to do that. But I do think that like we, I think there are, there's excellent community organizations that are working on that, like workers dignity, um, especially in Nashville. I mean, we've got grassroots groups that are trying to do that type of organizing. So when it comes to, okay, so we're, so you're saying that in order to be, so for, I guess, I guess example, working class, what do you define that as? You're in a union, you're. That's a great question. Uh, yeah, I was kind of wondering the same oh, thing. Why are you not in the working class? <laughs> maybe maybe I am. I, Shit, maybe I am. I mean, I... Yeah, I don't know. Josh? What is What constitutes being in the working, working class? class? Yeah, maybe I am working class. Yeah. Well, um, I've, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it, it would be... You know, I've had a lot of... Um, my parents are college educated. You know, I... I oh, okay. You know, like, for me, I have a lot of privilege and, yeah, and so capital, right? Yeah, so... Yeah, go ahead, the Josh. working class is a social group consisting of people who are employed for wages, especially in manual or industrial work. So I guess uh, for the most part, it is covering mostly manual labor. But I think if you j just work hourly instead of salary, that m might also fall under. Uh, so, for example, class. so I, I guess I'm constituted as working class because I did not have parents that were graduated. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're trying to reach people now like me <laughs> that do not have these these things and i understand also intersectionality that these things affect a, a man of color 
way differently. All right, they're more exacerbated. But I don't feel like I would have a place in either party. Both parties, I feel, um, work to their own ends. Those are you mentioned earlier uh, the pedigree of Barack Obama. These things don't match up to me. Right. So right. spelling bee be damned, whoever wins the spelling bee, it's not a meritocracy. It's about who you... So is that not... How do we strike that? I mean, we have to have a radical working class agenda in this country and what that actually looks like. I mean, we as millennials can't conceptualize what FDR did with the New Deal and mm-hmm. the worker, you know, the CCC and all the programs that he, he executed. And I think... We've just we've never seen what that looks like. And I think as soon as we do, and that's why socialism, the concept of socialism is is trending among millennials and it's gaining popularity because of, you know, we are seeing mass distress. We are seeing wages stagnate. Um, and, and if you think about unions in this country, I mean, they were the most powerful political force in the early 20th century. And look what they've become. They've become neutered by the Trump administration through various policies. And so, I, you know, I'm excited. And that's what, you know, that's what I, I love about Bernie Sanders is that you have this radical. It's not even radical. It's just going back, as AOC says, we're not going left. We're going back to our roots. I, there's just to understand something you said about not understanding what it was like back with FDR. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we are more closely going in the same direction as what was happening in in the United States at that time. So I think that we do know. We are are experiencing the same things, and Bernie is our FDR. So I'll give you a great example. You heard it first, folks. So I have uh, a stepfather. Unfortunately, I don't think I have this longevity, but he's 102. And never talked with him about politics, anything like that. One afternoon, um, they were running candidates in 2016. They were just doing a little spiel of what they were saying. And about that time, he looked up, you know, went through Trump, Hillary. And then all of a sudden, he looked up, he goes, who's that? And I was like, oh, that's, that's Bernie Sanders. That's the guy I work for, Pops. And he says sounds like fdr and i was like oh yeah it's like you like fdr he's like yeah i liked fdr and i was like why'd you like fdr and the first thing he mentioned was the wpa workers protection act so that's kind of like even though he and i'm sure being the back in that time so this i mean you think 102 years old that's a lot of life um i mean he i remember he i think he said that he didn't see his first automobile until he was 13 years old wow so those things that he recognized the WPA, Workers Protection Act, the union, um, all those things that uh, FDR did, even though he probably wasn't um, socially aware as he could have been in that day, he understood the root of, you know, the economic reasons FDR did what he did, Social Security and those things. And FDR was wealthy. He came from an elite family. So Was that... I know Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt came from an elite family. No, FDR, the Roosevelt's. Is it, are they, they were all part of the same family. I know yeah, they're yeah, related. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that just was a no, coincidence. No, he was his uncle. Was he? But, like, but just imagine this all of our struggling. Josh, fact check. Fact check. Get in Teddy. there. Um, but just imagine like all of our struggling artists, our musician friends in Nashville, our, the mm-hmm. artists that are struggling to even live here because gentrification and housing affordability Oof. is. is, is, is a little nut. 
imagine if we had a social program, a workers program that enabled them to travel and to experience the world doing their craft. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what that's what yeah. FDR did. That's what, that's yeah. That's why I, I think like it's it's different because we can't conceptualize with, you know, n not seeing your first car until 13 and, you know, that that era of industrialization and in, in, in our history. But in terms of the wealth inequality and the um, the classes of people and how many people are struggling right now I definitely think that it's a lot I mean history repeats itself so yeah. that's so yeah the, they, they were related let's see so Theodore Roosevelt which was uh, 1901 to 1909 uh, and Franklin D. Roosevelt was his fifth cousin, uh, whose wife, first lady Eleanor Roosevelt, was Theodore's niece. Okay, yeah. Boom. All right. So, what going into? Hold on. Wait. They were. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Wait, I didn't catch that. <laughs> it was a different time <laughs> back then. Oh, they were related. Uh -huh. Both of them. Uh oh. oh. Mm -hmm. Too much history. I mean, that's what, you know, dynasties, yo. Incest is best. All right, let's dynasties. go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Be best. So, oh, no. <laughs> We're going to keep rolling. All right. The, uh, so, going into Super Tuesday. So, we have four candidates. What? In Tennessee, Super Tuesday state. Uh, big big money. Big money. So, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so the Sorry. order and there's this and we can get into this but it's getting late um you know the whole order in which states vote in the primary is hotly contested because new hampshire and iowa are predominantly white and so it's a hotly it's it's been talked about oh. but it's becoming more relevant just because all of the can most of the candidates of color have left the arena but tennessee is on super tuesday which means there's tons of states that have their primary elections that day mm. so it's a big day so what do we have to see like what or, okay give us some predictions so what happens if any certain candidate, we're not going to name names, just comes out swinging? Like, can you ex describe so but, the but importance of this Super This is Tuesdays? my fear is that, and this is why it, it makes me a little nervous that Bernie hasn't hired anyone here, is because, you know, Warren is extreme. The, the campaign is one of the most well-organized, oil, well-oiled machines I've ever seen. Warren's? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren's. And if Bernie wins Iowa and New Hampshire, I don't think Bernie is going to win Southern states on that primary day, which makes me really nervous. I don't think Bernie will win Tennessee. Um, well, neither will Warren. I think Warren has a chance. I think Warren has a chance. If Bloomberg... Why? So, you know, there's all these... Um, so right now, all of the presidential candidate, candidate campaigns in Tennessee have a delegate strategy process, right? So they're trying to... And it is it is intricate i'm not mm -hmm. even gonna get into details but you yeah. know you've got the 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 democratic state party that has a few delegates i mean there's all these pieces of the puzzle right and so they're trying to figure out how to get their people to the convention right and how we can win super tuesday at least um so i have some sentiments to say that yeah please do so so for example i have um some women that are calling in and they're going to go through their delegate process and what they're doing great so, in my mind, this is good, becomes a, again a pollable thing. Where is in its so? For example, let's say that Josh got ten people in a room, 
and he was extremely organized. You had 10 people, they were all doing work, you could ex extrapolate the work. Problem with Bernie's campaign is it's immeasurable. So there's 100 people doing work, except they're doing it on separately, right? And they're also talking within the grassroots. It's not, it doesn't appear to be as structured because they're not going through those proper party channels that are generally induced. So I've seen that a lot. And that was one of my experiences on the campaign is I kept hearing this isn't organized. And, and with a campaign like Bernie Sanders and what I've seen is I've heard that from main campaign campaigners, like this doesn't, this, this isn't organized. And I'm like, you, you, this is a, perfect make perfect progress you know what i'm saying like this is it's it's really you can't hope to contain it completely which yeah. may, means to be there's, there's always obviously that excitement so i guess what i meant by that is you, there are people working to do the delegate process now i'm not necessarily seen from the warren side but i don't know how that translates into the southern state i mean unfortunately like you can't get around it that you know, the state party and these apparatuses that are not Bernie type organizing structures exist and you have to play the game in order to get the votes. Right. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited. You well, know, weren't there a lot of States where Bernie last time with the delegates, you know, they, they came in. Do you think Bernie's progress or his, uh, you think he's grown bigger? Do you think that he has more people coming out this time or about the Yeah, same? I do. Yeah, especially in states where it matter. You know, I just don't see, as someone who's a statewide organizer in Tennessee, like I'm connected to almost every demographic of voter. And I just, um, I think there's far less Bernie supporters than there are like white women who are mm. semi-progressive who've got their shit together. Does that make sense? Okay. So, I mean, I hope, I would love to see Warren or Bernie take Tennessee. I really would. Um, over Biden or Bloomberg. I caught myself shouting in a cafe the other day. I was like, Biden will have this nomination over my dead body. And then I forgot. I was Trump like, wouldn't take so, Tennessee. Oh, in the general. Yeah, oh. but I'm talking about the primary. So who do you think falls out after Super Tuesday? I hope Buttigieg. I think it's going to be down. I agree with, you know, I've, I've seen a, a few predictions, but I think it'll be Bernie, Biden. Um, actually, Bernie, Biden, or yeah, maybe Bernie, Biden, or Warren. Just because Warren is so well organized, I, I mean, think I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and put my weight in. I'm gonna say it's gonna be Bernie Warren Buttigieg. Oh, I just Biden's just. I mean, here's the deal: if you look up and you you reference Tennessee, there is no grassroots movement in Tennessee for for Biden. There's a there's there's sort of one for. I mean, if you go when I go to try to organize and find people, I go I try to go to the grassroots. So I'm I'm trying to see if that's actually again a measurable thing i mean how does how does someone not i i see what you're well, saying well and that's and uh, very the fair. infrastructure's already there right for the the elitists that's bad electoralists and let's oh yeah, like yeah. let's call them well, electoralists well, but take it like this like you have the presidential campaigns in tennessee you have um lifelong uh, uh lifelong campaign consultants right and they they have never set foot in a grassroots organizing training they've never set they've never talked to a grassroots organizer and they live you know in this kind of 
<laughs> oh, they don't talk to me. Yeah, they're not talking to people, right? And so, and so for me, class. what I think is really interesting is like those people. I don't communicate with them, right? Like I kind of have one foot in, one foot out. But what's been really interesting is like they definitely see movement on the ground, and they don't know where it's coming from. And so mm. that's the piece where I, you know, I'll give it to you that there could be this surge that you know the prognosticators in DC, yeah, can't predict because it's it's grassroots energy, and it's like it's wild and and frenetic and exciting, and you know I can't wait to see what happens. But they got to turn it into uncontrollable, uncontrollable grassroots like energy. You heard it first. So we have Bernie. Uh, what, what was what's your, your prediction? What's your prediction? Out of the four, oh, man. one. Do you, will you say that before she get? Will one person drop out? Is that feasible? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So yeah. one person's probably going to get knocked out, especially if they don't take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. Maybe I maybe. would say no, no, no. I would, I would agree with you on those three: uh, Bernie, Warren, and Buttigieg. But uh, I'll. There's, I think that's the hopeful side of me that wants to say those three. Mm. The cynical. <laughs> We still have far to go side of me, says Biden, Bernie Buttigieg. Yeah. Or by, yeah, yeah. I think Warren. So Bernie's still in. Bernie's still in both. both yeah, sides. yeah, but so you think I, Warren I just, will, he's raising the most money. So like, yeah. I was about yeah. to say, has Warren, how much money has Warren raised? Her, her quarter fundraising was not good this time. Okay. So you might, actually, that might be the. The three Bs. That might be the three B. Oh my God! Don't look. <laughs> Hashtag three Bs. I mean, I That's don't. That's gonna want disappoint them. a lot of people. I, honestly, if if Biden makes it through, like, pa like if he continues with any kind of steam, I, <laughs> it, I think that it's gonna. Be, you've lost. You've lost her. As yeah. a I've voter. lost hope. You've like lost her I, as a voter for. Andrew, yeah. And, no, like and if remember he continues and it comes down to him if he is in the primary like a front running candidate in the continued primaries i just feel like Blah. we're not there yet yeah that might be true might have to go through another four years because if there well, if there are people that well he is electable and if there are people that still want to vote for biden then we're not there yet oh yeah everybody should tr then nina turner 2024 you irritate your own constituents constituents when you say unelectable that that just kills everybody's buzz but anyway well we've had afton bain and samantha it's been Myers. a pleasure it's That's, been a it's pleasure been fun. fun yeah this has been I'm, fun I, I really want to hear what everybody has to say about this <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited uh and i can't wait to be back maybe i'll be back after we'll primary sure. primary day primary day Super Tuesday. back back right. again <laughs> back and we're gonna again. fade out mm. to mm. and and, and fade <laughs>